Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, this is former Pro Bowl Center for the Buffalo Bills, Eric Wood, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on the Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Yeah. 2022. We here. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey Bills fans, welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. This episode is brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook at DeLago. If you're in the Western New York or Central New York area, do yourselves a favor. Head on over to Waterloo, New York, and check out the DeLago Resort and Casino. There's concerts there. There's great food. There's, like I mentioned, the sportsbook there. Uh, it's It's just a great time. It's a great time. Check it out. And we have a special guest here to talk the NFL Combine coming this next week and the NFL Draft that is only two months away. He is the host of the First Team TV show on Stadium. He is also the host of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. I'd like to welcome Joe DeLeon to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Joe, it is so good to talk to you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm excited to uh, to dive in on these uh, Buffalo Bills draft needs and a little bit about this draft class. It's it's my favorite time of year. I, it's like Christmas for three straight months, <laughs> getting to just talk about these guys. Uh, it's again my just my favorite time of year. We got the combine coming up. Everything everything is coming in line very very nicely. Yeah, I was just gonna say like the Senior Bowl just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. The NFL combine is starting up i mean as a draft analyst yourself i mean this this time of year lasts all the way up until what the the very end of april when you know day three happens i mean how it you you just mentioned it's a christmas i mean the preparation that goes through it through like the spring games and Mm -hmm. you know august the very first week of college football i mean what is that this like just to have it all culminate in the last couple of months, I mean, is it hard to to grasp? I mean, are are you rushing through things, or is it just okay? Now it's just time to to really just discuss all the things that I've been analyzing for the last you know ten months. Yeah, to, to peel back the the curtain, I think that the process is it, it it is difficult because we go from zero to a hundred in a way on transitioning to talking about the draft. As soon as the regular season ends, we're already starting those conversations. And then once the draft ends, it's full go. Especially with the with the senior bowl uh sorry, when the when the Super Bowl ends, it's full go. And and with the senior bowl happening the week before, 
things start to really pick up. And what that does for us as evaluators, it's hard to start doing those evaluations without having full seasons being played for these guys, knowing where their health is, um, having film for all of these guys to break down and, and analyze in the right games to analyze on these guys. So like timing wise, you go from maybe looking at a few players as bowl seasons going on, which was the case for me and, and having like a handful really graded to, okay, I need to go rapid fire. Now I need to start grading and getting as many guys in uh, a day as possible. So by the time April comes around, the end of March comes around when everybody is really hyper-focused on the NFL draft, you have all the proper notes to, to talk about. And it's so unique in the sense where you might be covering a team. And like I first started when I was working in media, I was working for uh, Big Blue View covering the Giants. And that was like the first thing that I did. And when you're only talking about the Giants, there's 53 guys on the roster that you need to know about. But when you're in the NFL draft and you're talking about prospects, there's 250 plus sometimes, especially with bigger classes that you just need to be aware of. And it's a matter of diligence. It's a matter of taking the time to analyze, watch the film, take the notes, give out the grades so you can properly break down these guys and, and talk about them not only on on my show, but when I do these these various guest, guest spots. But uh, I'm a bit of a dork. I'm a bit of a football nerd uh, from, from being removed from playing that I like watching film and I like talking about players. How often when you're looking at the film of, let's say you're looking at some guard tackle prospect from Tennessee and you're walk, watching him to see how he's blocking and all of a sudden you see a great defensive end or linebacker on the other side just make a great play and you're like, whoa, maybe maybe I should take a look at that guy, maybe from a smaller school or something like that, maybe not as high as good of a school as Tennessee or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. How often does that happen and is, is that ever a regular occurrence over that, uh, that review schedule? I think it happens often. It it happened a lot more for me during summer scouting when I was doing my preliminary notes ahead of the college football season. But there's a lot of times where you'll be watching a guy and then they get their butt beat like you're talking about an offensive tackle getting beat by an edge rusher. And you're like, wow, who is that guy? And I, like a good and funny example, the first one that popped in my head was in July, I was watching Anton Harrison, the, the uh, Oklahoma offensive tackle, who's fine, who's a, a decent prospect, but has a lot of growth that he needs to do. And I was watching him against Iowa state. And this was before I knew who Will McDonald was. My co-host Ryan knew who Will McDonald was. And Will McDonald was just taking his lunch money the whole game. And it was just beating him. And I'm like, wow, who is this tall, long athletic guy who's playing out of position? And I looked him up and I'm like, I'm, I'm writing him down for edge. And I, I brought him up to Ryan and Ryan knows every single player. And Ryan's like, like, Oh, you don't know about Will McDonald. You have to watch Will McDonald. Like he's one of the top players in, in his position group. But uh, I think it does happen often. I think that if you're diligent, you're paying attention, certain guys will catch your eye, and if you've got a good eye for talent, you're going to notice those things. Maybe it's just a guard who's next to a tackle. Maybe it's a, a defensive back who makes a play on a ball when you're even watching a tight end or something along those lines. It's It certainly does happen. How much you, – you mentioned you played in college. I mean, how much does your film study from playing in college translate to your scouting of – these college prospects and what you're doing now, has it evolved or is it very much along the same lines of what you did in college? One thing I find really funny. So I was a long snapper in college. So like I wasn't one of these position players where uh, I was in those film sessions getting screamed at by the offensive line coach or whatnot, like my roommate. But I, I one of the funny things is because I was a long snapper. I hated watching film. Like I really, really hated watching film and, and it was really tiresome for me because it's like, Okay, I just see myself snap and I don't need to really like I don't really care what everyone else is doing around me, but I think that now that I'm removed, it's allowed me to stay 
connected to the game. But at the same time, I think having played and being in uh, a team meeting room where, like, I don't only watch only didn't only watch special teams plays. Like, you would be in a team meeting room every single day, and they would pull up practice plays from team period from one-on-ones and just hearing your coaches, the way that they look at things, the way that they break things down, having that eye, it just naturally translates. It just naturally uh, carries over where you're exposed to enough times of people talking about your teammates, your position coaches, your head coach, um, where it just makes it easy. And I think that it can be tough sometimes, I think, for evaluators who don't have that playing experience to know what that critical eye is like. And I'm not saying that those people can't be as successful, but it just – it, there's, there definitely is a learning curve because it takes time to, to get caught up on where I was basically majoring in football for the four years that I was playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, very interesting. So we, we, we mentioned the uh, NFL Combine starting up this next week in Indy. Uh, what is the single biggest thing a prospect can do to improve their draft their de- I'm sorry, their draft stock at the Combine? Is it just as simple as putting up big numbers in all the athletic tests or is it more than that? I think that the athletic testing numbers are for a fan. It's we get excited over that stuff. And before I got into doing NFL draft evaluations, I held a lot of stock in how guys performed athletically at the combine. But the reality of it is when you have these grades and the evaluations that you do, you have an expectation of who is going to be the most athletic, who is going to perform the best in various drills. What is a bigger stock rising for various prospects are guys who test better than we expect guys who maybe we have graded in the middle of the pack in a position group as like a day two prospect, but runs a faster 40 has a better three cone than we're anticipating has a better vertical than we're anticipating. And then it kind of tells us as evaluators to go, I'm going to go back and rewatch another game on this guy. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I need to reconsider this. It helps create separation. It's not going to you're not going to have a guy who's day three jump all the way to day one. That's unrealistic. And I think a lot of times, you know, we get like social media accounts for like Bleacher Report that make those jumps because they want to get reactions from fans. They want us to, to, to be engaged. But in actuality, it's like, okay, my third ranked guy tested better than my second ranked guy. Maybe let's make a decision here on moving that guy up. But I think the biggest, most important thing that we don't get to see on the outside is is the interviews. These teams are using this opportunity to get acclimated to the personalities of these players and they want to make connections with these players and those interviews are just huge for the guys who have very great football IQs that are very smart football players that they can show up, draw stuff up on the whiteboard in those meetings and uh, establish themselves as as big players in in this class. When we're watching the draft, like the first night or maybe even into day two, and you're seeing a player that has been ranked like universally as a top 10, top 15 player just fall down the draft board. Now, I mean, there could be a number of different issues. So I don't want to pin it just Mm -hmm. to just one um, idea. But what you just mentioned, is it possible because we're not allowed into any of those interviews that there might be a, a reasoning a reason to like maybe DK Metcalf falling or something like that, like where we thought that he was a day one prospect and he falls to the middle of round two. Is it, could it be because, not specifically him, but just in general, because of that interview process, because that's so important. If you have a guy ranked 1A, 1B, and one uh, has such a better interview than the other, I mean, then that just knocks 1B all the way down, you know, maybe into three, four, or five, right? Yeah, I, I think there's actually a lot of 
factors that can come into play here, separate from if something disastrous happens where they get arrested or something like that, which, you know, like the Laramie Tunsil thing with the, with the video of him smoking pot, like that's a very rare occurrence. But I think as media evaluators, we're more willing and able to take risks with our rankings. And what I mean by that is the more talented guys and the guys that are really high upside that might be riskier prospects with lower floors, we're more willing to bet on traits. But a general manager who is on the hot seat or a, a scout who's just trying to play it safe and build a, a team safely, they might not value those guys as highly as the media does. The, the media is, you know, we're not going to get fired if, if we say somebody is worth a first round pick, if we say that Anthony Richardson's worth a, a top five pick, when in reality, a team that's picking and looking for a quarterback might be scared of a guy like Anthony Richardson, because if he doesn't work out, they have to relocate. They have to look for a new job. They have to, you know, start calling their contacts to get a, a, a new uh, place of employment. I think the other thing as well, though, that really impacts things is that whenever we have runs on certain position groups, so if, a team might be waiting on corners and like in this year's draft class because they think that there's a lot of really good top end talent. Like there's a solid four or five guys that could go in the first round. So I think a lot of teams might say, let's wait because we can get a, a different guy at the beginning of the second round or trade back into the, the back end of the first round. And whenever a run happens, it pushes back that position group. And at the same time, it might push back a different position group and guys that were worthy of being selected that highly, um, and making them, you know, selected later on because teams are prioritizing a specific position group because they don't want to miss out on specific guys. That makes a lot of sense. And kind of goes into my next question going into the draft in general. I mean, what positions in this year's NFL draft do you see that there's really just a lot of depth where you might be able to get a starter on day two? Maybe, I mean, probably not day three, but maybe uh, because there's so many players, good players at that position. I think we have to talk about the, the defensive line just overall. The defensive tackle group and the edge group has so many talented names, not just at the top. And we're obviously very caught up on Jalen Carter and Will Anderson. But at the same time, there's guys like Adio Deboire or Carl Brooks at the defensive tackle spot. There are guys like Nick Hampton at edge who could provide really, really good depth. And I think that both of those position groups is just so many talented players that are at the combine that were at the Senior Bowl that, uh, as you said, could be selected somewhere on day three and turn out to be just a nice, really good rotational player, really good depth piece at either of those position groups. What about on the flip side of that? What position groups are really thin where if you don't pick one on day one or maybe even day two, you're not going to get a starter? It's just it's just either depth or you're just hoping. I think without a doubt the weakest, and I just put out a show on this position group, the, our top five is the guards. The guard class is, is really bad, and it, it's even further than that where uh, I wouldn't take any of them in the first round. And then if, if you kind of miss out on Osiris Torrance, Steve Avila, Cody Mock, those guys, it gets, or McClendon Curtis even, it gets really thin really quick where it's like these are guys are pretty much backups. They're spot starters. You're not getting a guy who's going to be a starting level player. I think that this year at guard, there's going to be a lot of tackles drafted that get bumped into guard. I think that there is, there's going to be maybe more than we've seen in the, in the past few years, a lot of tackles that could play either spot that teams draft specifically to play guard. When you're looking at prospects, now I, I just listened to your last podcast where you were ranking your top five uh, interior offensive linemen on both sides. Are you just looking for tackles that maybe don't have as much 
athletic ability, which we'll find out more about at the combine, or is it more than that? That they that why you would want to switch them for? Are they too small to be tackled? I mean, what what, what kind of traits do you look for? A big reason why we do make that switch is just it, a lot of its length is can certain guys and, and I know that Rashawn Slater and Peter Skaronsky in this year's class, but Slater was kind of the, the good example where everyone's saying like, well, he's a really good tackle just because he doesn't have the length. Why are we moving him into guard? But more often than not, a lot of tackles that don't have long enough arms or not tall enough uh, and they don't have the flexibility and the foot quickness to get into space as easily they were, might have been good tackles, but it might benefit them to move into guard because they don't have the physical traits to do really well in space. And I think the other thing, too, like a guy like Cody Mock's a really good example who I'm grading him as a tackle. Ryan graded him as a guard, and I kind of agree with him grading him as a guard because he's really mean and aggressive in the run game. And a lot of tackles who have that demeanor, it's like, okay, he can maybe play tackle, but I think that if he's an aggressive run blocker, that's the guy I want inside. So it's a bit of mentality, a bit of, little bit of size, and I think part of also, too, is the athleticism. So as far as what the Bills could potentially be looking for at at least their first-round pick at 27, um, if you were to ask the Bills at the end of the Bengals game, which was the end of their postseason, they would say offensive line, wide receiver, like you need to get, you need to protect Josh Allen, you need to give him more weapons to throw to. Uh it sounds like I was going to ask you which position is deeper, offensive line or wide receiver. It sounds for me, now what you're unless this tackle class is extremely deep, it sounds like wide receiver is a little bit deeper this year. Uh, actually, I would compare both the offensive tackle and the receiver class. I think they're they're pretty comparable. I think that there's going to be more highly drafted tackles in the top ten after we get past Peter Skaronsky and Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. It does kind of lighten up a little bit but there's a lot of really good names that are going to be in the discussion for the tackle class and I think the same is the case for the receiver group where I no one's really going to get selected for me past 15 or 20 but there's a good amount of guys that are just gonna be really good receivers uh, somewhere on day two and that might be to the benefit of the Buffalo Bills where they can trade out and then draft somebody at the very beginning of the second round uh, at either of those positions and I, I look at Jalen Duncan from Maryland is an interesting name to pay attention to who can fit that. Uh, if we're talking receiver, I think Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith, and Jigba are important names. Josh Downs, Zay Flowers. I think what's actually really important for this receiving group for the for the Bills is that they need some speed. You know, we, we got Stephon Diggs. We've got Gabriel Davis. Like, they're both bigger receivers. They're both really talented players, but... Like, who do they have in the slot? What deep threats do they have? And I think guys like Josh Downs from North Carolina, Zay Flowers from, from Boston College could fit that at the top of the second round for them. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. 
And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay. Okay, as far as middle linebacker prospects, there was an article that just recently came out, um, a Fox that Fox Sports that uh, mentioned, it was an interview with Tremaine Edmonds saying that he's willing to test the market. Now, we all know that that could just be posturing. He could easily come back with an extension. But if not, are there any middle linebacker prospects that you could see the Bills taking at 27 and knowing that like they really covet, they, they love to run nickel formation, so they don't like to have more than two linebackers out there. So Matt Milano is obviously on on one of those linebackers, great coverage linebacker, great stuffing the run. They're looking at another guy that can be the middle linebacker that can also, you know, stuff the run and also be good in coverage, maybe has some length. Like, I mean, no one has length like Tremaine Edmonds, but maybe has some length. I mean, are there any prospects that you've been scouting that could potentially fit that mold for the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, actually. I think that there's a, a perfect replacement, actually, if we're talking like physical traits that that's a one for one for for Tremaine Edmonds, and that's that's Drew Sanders from Arkansas, a guy who previously was at Alabama as an edge rusher. He translate uh, transitions to to linebacker at Arkansas, and the guy is just so athletic, and he's tall. He's like six five, like Edmonds is, and he, I love his demeanor. I love his aggressiveness. You get that that uh, double capability where he knows how to rush the passer. He can, he can rush against these interior linemen, but I, I see a guy that just moves really well for his size. Now he's a little green cause he made that transition, but um, I think if you're the Buffalo bills, like he's a, a great replacement because he fits that frame. But if we're looking for somebody who maybe a little bit later on, they don't want to draft a drew Sanders somewhere in the second round, which is where I have him graded as my second ranked linebacker. Uh, you can go with somebody like a Diane Henley, who I think, you're, as you're discussing here, if they want someone who's got great coverage skills, end of the third round, early in the fourth round, out of Washington State, Diane Henley had a really good com or a good senior bowl, rather. I think he's just really well put together. He's got really, really long arms. Um, very, very underrated athlete. And then I was pleasantly surprised at the senior bowl how well he covered guys, how well he covered running backs, how well he covered some of these slot receivers. That, to me, I think fits with what you're looking for if you're looking for a guy who can um, step in and play on a lot of pass coverage downs. He is a bit of an older prospect, which is a bit of a knock for me, but him being 24, um, he's still a name to pay attention to for the Buffalo Bills. Now, you mentioned interior offensive line being really thin this year. I, I mean, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but it's possible that the Bills look at a center guard sort of prospect where you know, I don't know if that necessarily fits like the John Michael Schmitz, but someone who could potentially play a guard this year, and then if they decide to move on from Mitch Morse at the end of this season, potentially slide into into center. I mean, Mitch Morse has a has a long concussion history, so it feels mm-hmm. like he has at least six documented concussions. So you're hoping that you know the next one doesn't you know end his career, and you you just never know. Uh, but at the same time, he's one of their best offensive linemen. Uh, is there anyone that actually you know? Uh, fits that mold and i mean would they even be available at 27 or are you talking you have to be you have to be much higher than that to 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 snag one of those players yeah i think actually i think the opposite where 27 might be a little high to draft one of these guys but i I think the argument could be made 
for three guys in particular for me that I'm really excited about in the center class. I, I, you could Osiris Torrance is somebody to pay attention to. I think early on in the second round. After that, I'm I'm not very excited by a lot of these guys as I mentioned. But the three centers that I like that could play guard as well are Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas, older player, very experienced, very very smart, flexible, explosive guy. Better center, but I think if you needed him to play some guard and you wanted to try him out at guard, he could do it. You mentioned John Michael Schmitz, who I have as a as a, a day two prospect. Um, probably not going in the first round for me. Again, another older player, very experienced, had a really good senior bowl. A little bit more consistent than he is twitchy and explosive, but you just know what you're getting, and I think that he is one of those guys who can play guard or center. One who I think is the most interesting is Joe Tipman from Wisconsin, who's a, a junior. Very big frame, massive guy. And I was so excited watching his tape. Just moves really, really well in space. Got pretty good length for a center um, and has just really easy power. And I think that he's got a lot more growing to do. He's got a little bit more improving to do and to refine some of his technical issues. But you're getting a guy who, if he's on the newer side and he's on the greener side uh, and he's got a high ceiling, you could put him at guard and let him learn on the job and then maybe switch him back to center. I think he could play either spot at at a pretty high level somewhere in the second round. I want to ask you a general question about RAS scores, which is just relative athletic scores, which is a, a way of, you know, uh, comparing uh, different prospects to other prospects that have gone through the combine, especially now that the combine's coming up. This is very important. I mean, what are your thoughts on RAS scores in general? And do you use them when grading these prospects to see maybe comparables to players that have had success or not had success in the NFL? I don't necessarily use it as a significant impact of my grading, but I do take a lot of value in it because when you've got these guys that test out with, with crazy numbers and, and crazy point totals, it really opens your eyes to some of the best athletes in the class. Like I think a really good example is Leo Chennault from Wisconsin and Troy Anderson from Montana state last year, who were two really explosive linebackers, really fast. And it also, I think it helps us just put into perspective uh, sometimes like the testing numbers for various guys. Cause like, for example, this year, a guy like Michael Mayer, if he runs at like a low 4.7, a high 4.6, that number doesn't sound that exciting as an athlete. But when we put into context that he's 260 pounds, that's a really good testing score. And he's going to have a really good RAS score. So I definitely use it to put in perspective, like how well-rounded of an athlete are they, um, how explosive can they be as a player i think it definitely has a ton of value and i'm a, I'm a big fan of of those ras scores i think it's a very useful tool yeah yeah definitely so the last question i want to ask you joe is you know you mentioned on a previous a recent podcast like Groupthink, and when someone like a daniel jeremiah from the nfl network comes out and decides that they have this prospect you, you know you may have thought he was a day three prospect he has him as a day two prospect how that kind of changes Groupthink. i mean you as a as a draft analyst i mean how do you look at that do you look at that and say well maybe i need to reevaluate mine or or do you stand you know, stand right where you're at and say, this is no, 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 I, I, I firmly have day three prospect. I'm not going to move it. Or does it make you think a little bit? I think for me, it used to. And as I'm like getting more and more experienced with doing this, like I used to really get self-conscious when I saw a reputable, a reputable evaluator and draft analyst be very off from like my thoughts on a guy. Like I used to think like, wow, like I really don't know what I'm doing or like, 
I must not really know what I'm looking at or, or have a good sense of um, what makes a good player. But like the, the more confident I think that I get in my decision-making, the more that I realize that everyone has different opinions and I just try to stick with what I believe. I think that everyone looks at things differently, different evaluators value different things. I don't think there's anyone that's necessarily right or wrong. Even the people that are at the biggest platforms are consistently wrong. It's, it's like being a weatherman, you know, you're still getting paid to be incorrect. I I think that there are such a wide array of opinions where you can't allow things like that to sway your decision-making. And I, I think those rankings are more valuable for, people are covering teams that don't do these in-depth breakdowns. It's, it's a good tool for them to have. But uh, for me as an evaluator, as an independent evaluator, and as my own analyst, I try to have faith and confidence in what I'm, what I'm looking at. Joe, this was so fun to talk to you. I, I definitely appreciate you coming on talking prospects, you know, letting me grill you on some of the position groups. Um, Where can people, they can find all of your great work um, on the Believe in the NFL Drafts podcast and your work on Stadium uh, and the first team TV show on Stadium. Where can they find you on Twitter, social media, anything that you have going on? Uh, Yeah, you can catch me at Joe DeLeon on Twitter. And then as you said, uh, Hack City on YouTube is the channel that's got all of my college football NFL draft content. And then the Believe Network YouTube channel as well has not only my stuff, but a lot of really great shows uh, across our network covering individual teams and and various topics. But uh, yeah, that's where you can catch my stuff. Well, great. Well, after the draft, we'll have to talk, have you on sometime and and maybe evaluate where the bills went right, where where they went wrong compared to what you saw. And uh, it's fun. Thank you so much again for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Always excited to talk draft and I'll uh, be looking forward to hopping on after. Real quick, we are going to record again on Sunday night for another episode with my co-host John and Mike, and we are going to be talking needs, positional needs for the entire roster. We're going to prioritize them from top to bottom. Uh, We'll probably come up with at least 10 or 12 different positional needs from super very important to uh, it'd be nice if they got some more players at this position. So we're going to do that on Sunday night. If you have anything you'd like to add, DM me on Twitter, DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Also email us ctwpod at gmail.com and give us your take on that as well. This episode, again, is brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook at Delago. So make sure you check out the Delago Resort and Casino in Waterloo, New York. It is the jewel of Waterloo. Uh, And also, if you're interested in some bill shirts, we are selling $16 bill shirts at our Tee Public store. The link is in the show notes. Uh, $16 t-shirts, $13 tank tops, uh, $35 hoodies. Uh, It's a great sale. Everything's on sale there. We have have hundreds of bills designs there. Everything from Matt the Missile Milan to the Jugger Knox, to Josh Allen, the Winter Soldier, to everything, everything we have. So uh, make sure to check those out. Thanks again to Joe Leone for coming on. And for me, Nate, go Bills. And make sure to listen to us uh, Monday morning to talk Bills needs. Buffalo, 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 it's the mafia. Buffalo, 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 it's the mafia. Buffalo, 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 it's the mafia. It's the Buffalo Bills, eh? It's the Buffalo Bills, eh? Buffalo, 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 it's the mafia. Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, Shaq Lawson, who's stopping us? Trey Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, who's blocking us? I don't see nobody stopping us. Number one, no one on top of us. What they gonna do and Matt Milano coming with the blitz off the edge Don't you throw it in the air cause Trey White and Micah Hyde will intercept Von Miller getting double teamed, now the team getting easy sacks 
Russo with the double moves, coming straight for the quarterback. Take him down, take him down. McDermott clapping on the sidelines. In the crowd going crazy. Mafia, it's our time. Josh Allen, it's your time. It's the Mafia, yeah. Sunday, one Bills drive. Mafia, where you at? Buffalo, 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 it's the Mafia. 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 It's the Buffalo Bills, eh? It's the Buffalo Bills, eh? Buffalo, Buffalo. Buffalo, it's the Mafia Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, Shaq Lawson, who's stopping us? Trey Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, who blocking us? I don't see nobody stopping us Number one, no one on top of us Mitch Moore snapped to Josh Allen, looking down the field See no one open, so he scrambled right He sees somebody open, but he off balance, so he gotta be focused Dawkins with the block, Allen with the shock 70 yards, will it be called Gabe Davis or Jay Crowder? Down the field, past the whole roster That Steph Diggs make it so easy Touchdown, high my field rocking every Sunday. Got a hangover on every Monday. Get your bass kick, you know we winning. Josh Allen passing, who gon' pass us? With Devin and Cook, you know we great. If you're not a Bills fan, we don't relate. Nah. Buffalo, 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 it's the Mafia Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, Don Brown, who's stopping us? Trey Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, who blocking us? No one. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>